The following is an encore presentation of It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino. Fetch your earbuds and stay tuned for some pure pet care conversation because It's a Dog's Life with pet and cannabis expert Angela Ardolino. Learn the best holistic practices from top pet industry professionals and listen in on why CBD might be a whole different animal for your best in show buddy. Here's your new best friend about pets, Angela Ardolino. Hey there, it's Angela Ardolino with It's a Dog's Life, and I'm joined today by Dr. Mark Goldstein, who I'm so excited to talk about. When, when I read your bio first, because of course, before I look at your book, I want to see who you are. Who is this guy who wrote a, a book about animals? Um, it basically was like a dream career. Like if someone told me as a kid that I could do all the things that you've done, I'd have been like, yeah, sign me up for that. <laughs> Thank you, Angela. And I pinch myself every day. I'm now in my 60s and, you know, I, uh, I, I've had the opportunity to have an incredible career. Uh, you know, luck is basically um, opportunity comes and you want to make sure you're prepared for it. And those two Amen. came together a lot in my life. Right. I kind of feel like I'm going through that right about now. Um, I mean, I feel like I've prepared my whole life for what, what I'm doing now because it's basically joining my two path, the things I'm most passionate about together. So I'm sure you've been doing that your entire life because your passion is animals and working with animals, correct? Actually, I, I'd expand it. My passion is people and animals, animals and people. Um, I say that importantly because I think it's an important characteristic for veterinarians I think anyone working in animal welfare, you can care about the animals, but you also have to get along with the people that either care for them or the clients that come in your rooms or the colleagues that you work with. So I actually love people and animals. And that's why I got into this work. Good. So tell me, you knew you knew you had a knack with animals when you were a kid. You liked them. How did you go from that to becoming a vet? Um, I went from mucking stalls during high school to um, then taking care of some beautiful thoroughbreds down in Ocala, Florida. And I learned a lot by watching and listening because if I hadn't done that, you can get hurt easily. Mm -hmm. um, so I learned those skills there. And then as the first chapter in my book talks about Danya the elephant, um, that was probably when I look back in my life, I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian, but I really hadn't had the practical experience. And not to give away the whole book, but the first chapter is about my you know, interaction with Danya. She was an elephant. I went on an island to do some work, and I didn't follow the rules. Um, I should have taken, gone over to her, let her greet me. Uh, this was in a big wild safari park. There were nine elephants on the island. She was the dominant matriarch. And um, why I used this experience to say, how did I get to become a veterinarian was because that interaction almost ended my life. I didn't follow the rules. I didn't walk over, let her smell my feet and walk with her, which was what she was used to. I just patted her trunk and said, I had something to get on the island. I'll be real quick. I broke the rules. She picked me up, threw me 30 feet, 20 feet in the air. Um, I broke my arm. I busted up my body. She wasn't really done. This is all in, described in detail in the book. I like your expression. Um, she ran over. And, you know, when people see elephants do headstands like in a circus, which I'm not a proponent of, um, but when they see them do a headstand, that's a natural instinct. The only predators elephants have in the wild besides people are big cats, tigers in Asia, lions in Africa. And if a cat jumps on their back, they throw them to the ground, they put their head on them and they pick up their back feet and squish. She actually ran over 
started to come down with her head. I was in shock at this point. And I just, some training in the back of my mind went off. You can get her attention by hitting her in the, hitting her in the eye, which I did. And that lifted her head and allowed me to roll off the island into a canal of water uh, with alligators in it. Um, but they went the other way. If there were crocodiles, we wouldn't be laughing right now. Um, why do I use that example? Because people ask me after that, you know, did they, what did they do to the elephant? Did they put it down? What was wrong with her? There was nothing wrong with Danya. I broke the rules. And the experience, including the two weeks in the hospital and the repair of my arm and the footprint on my back with five toes to know that she was an Asian um, elephant versus an African, I actually came out of that realizing it was my first life lesson, which is how I wrote my book. What life lessons did I learn from each of these interactions? And in that case, it was follow the rules. Animal behavior is predictable. You just need to learn their language. And it convinced me that I wanted to do this more. It was my calling. So that was the pivotal moment. I was in Cornell at that point at Cornell undergraduate school. And uh, that's when I confirmed in my, me and myself that this was my calling. I wanted to work with animals and interact with them and help them and play a part in treating them. Amazing. So you, did you have your own practice? Um, I was very fortunate. I graduated Cornell Veterinary School and I was accepted into an internship program. Some of your listeners might know Angel Memorial in Boston. It's a teaching hospital. It has about 50 veterinarians. And in the 70s and 80s, that was unheard of. Now there's specialty practices all over the country. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was Angel AMC in the universities. And I did a 14-month uh, internship there in clinical medicine. I went into private practice for two years as an associate. And then I was lucky enough to go back on staff at Angel, and I was there for another eight years. And that was just, wow. I was working with some of the best veterinarians in the world. I was lucky to be there. My, my um, uh, area of interest was internal medicine and oncology, um, but we saw everything at Angel. And I also saw the so-called exotic or non-domestic pets because I had all this other field experience working at the zoo, working at Lion Country, working at the safari park. Um, I would see the non-domestic pets that would come through. Again, there's a whole story there. I'm not in favor of most of them because most people don't know what they're getting into when they do it, but at least we want to make sure that they're cared for as much as possible. So that's what I did for 10 years. And then I had either, I say jokingly, in a drunken stupor or a good decision um, when Governor Michael Dukakis was running for governor of Mass uh, for president, I'm sorry, um, I was asked to be the director of the Boston Zoos. So I, you know, it, it took many months for me to make the decision because I love medicine. I loved practicing, but I realized I could have maybe more of an impact on populations of animals because I believe at the end of the day, animal welfare's strongest suit to advance itself is education, educating the public about what wildlife is all about and how to preserve them with domestic animals. It's how to care for them and be respectful of both. Um, so I felt I could have more of an impact. So I went from the Boston zoos. I then became the director of the Los Angeles zoo. And from there I became, I went through San Francisco SBCA as vice president and then president of the San Diego Humane Society. Wow! So, uh, I, I truly have, I've seen clinical medicine. I've seen captive wildlife, which I talk about in the book. Why should we have zoos and aquariums? I actually speak to it and then animal welfare. And I've loved Every place I've been, I've learned from it. I've worked with some of the greatest people in the country. And so you're talking mostly, this book is your experiences working with animals in these places and how, of course, you, I'm sure, taught people things, but it's more about what the experiences in working with animals taught you. Yes, 
very much so. I mean, each, either the people or the um, animals that, you know, for instance, it's called lions and tigers and hamsters. Right. I because love- we've got a Harold the hamster story. Um, that's what I love to tell. And what did I learn from it? Well, Harold the hamster came in in a shoebox with a 10, 12-year-old boy attached. And his mom sat in the corner of the room and I went to open the box. And the first thing he did was put his hand on the top of the box and said, Dr. Goldstein, what do you know about hamsters? And he took control of my room. I, <laughs> um, love I explained it. that I did and we opened it up and here was a tumor I could see or some inflammation process in the back leg. We went through the whole process. I never, what I learned in veterinary medicine is I never prejudged the situation, how the people were dressed um, you know, uh, I didn't judge anything. I always made sure or how old they were, how young they were, that we in whatever language or level of um, communication was indicated with a 10 year old boy versus an adult. I made sure they understood all the options. I didn't assume that some options were not what they would consider. So we talked about euthanizing the little guy and we talked about let's see each other in three or four weeks because I can tell you now he's not in pain. How can you tell he's not? breathing rapidly. He's not, he's holding his weight. He's eating well, he's responding. So we might have to see each other at a future point and stop, or we can amputate the leg. And to my surprise, this young man turned around to his mom and said, mom, and I explained the costs at this point. Um, he said, I've been, I had a paper route, which most of your listeners may not know what that is anymore, but he had a paper route and he was saying, how young do you think I am? <laughs> I said, your listeners, not you. I don't know who listens. I'm talking to, I know I, um, but, um, I, um, he turned to her and said, mom, I've been saving up for two years to buy a bicycle. I can get that next year. I want to do this. And in a flash of an eye, and you can see it in my eyes, I still get emotional about it. He really taught me the, how important life was over material wealth. A 10-year-old boy in, yeah. a, in a flash. So that's the life lessons I learned. We, By the way, so that people know, we went ahead, we amputated the leg. I actually met his mom in the hall and we made a deal. We didn't charge that much and she promised to get him a bike for Christmas. Um, but we amputated the leg and unfortunately it came back as a malignancy. But the young man sent me a card six months later with a three-legged hamster driven, drawn on it you know, by a young, you could tell a child and a note inside that said, my little friend passed away last night, but I'm so glad we did what we did. Aww. And, and those, that's the kind of lessons I've learned being a veterinarian from, in this case, a young man. Um, so that's just an example of one. Yeah, there's nothing better than um, meeting other people who love animals as much as you do. And um, A, makes you feel not as crazy, and B, that they understand. <laughs> I gave up feeling. I know I'm crazy. Yeah, me too. It's much accepted. <laughs> me too. Um, normal is boring. It's a dog's life. We'll be back once we take our sponsors out for a short walk. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on The Cutting Edge of Cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee, Ah, how sweet it is. 
Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at s-h-o-o-g-i-e-s dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take-anywhere treat. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. The following is an encore presentation of It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino. Stop barking up the wrong tree. We're back with more of It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. Hey there, it's Angela Ardolino with It's a Dog's Life, and I'm joined today by Dr. Mark Goldstein, who I'm so excited to talk about. When, when I read your bio first, because of course, before I look at your book, I want to see who you are. Who is this guy who wrote a, a book about animals? Um, it basically was like a dream career. Like if someone told me as a kid that I could do all the things that you've done, I'd have been like, yeah, sign me up for that. <laughs> Thank you, Angela. And I pinch myself every day. I'm now in my 60s and you know, I, uh, I, I've had the opportunity to have an incredible career. Uh, you know, luck is basically um, opportunity comes and you want to make sure you're prepared for it. And those two Amen. came together a lot in my life. Right. I kind of feel like I'm going through that right about now. Um, I mean, I feel like I've prepared my whole life for what, what I'm doing now because it's basically joining my two path, the things I'm most passionate about together. So I'm sure you've been doing that your entire life because your passion is animals and working with animals, correct? Actually, I, I'd expand it. My passion is people and animals, animals and people. Um, I say that importantly because I think it's an important characteristic for veterinarians I think anyone working in animal welfare, you can care about the animals, but you also have to get along with the people that either care for them or the clients that come in your rooms or the colleagues that you work with. So I actually love people and animals. And that's why I got into this work. Good. So tell me, you knew you knew you had a knack with animals when you were a kid. You liked them. How did you go from that to becoming a vet? Um, I went from mucking stalls during high school to um, then taking care of some beautiful thoroughbreds down in Ocala, Florida. And I learned a lot by watching and listening because if I hadn't done that, you can get hurt easily. Mm -hmm. um, so I learned those skills there. And then as the first chapter in my book talks about Danya the elephant, um, that was probably when I look back in my life, I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian, but I really hadn't had the practical experience. And not to give away the whole book, but the first chapter is about my you know, interaction with Danya. She was an elephant. I went on an island to do some work, and I didn't follow the rules. Um, I should have taken, gone over to her, let her greet me. Uh, this was in a big wild safari park. There were nine elephants on the island. She was the dominant matriarch. And um, why I used this experience to say, how did I get to become a veterinarian was because that interaction almost ended my life. I didn't follow the rules. I didn't walk over, let her smell my feet. 
and walk with her, which was what she was used to. I just patted her trunk and said, I had something to get on the island. I'll be real quick. I broke the rules. She picked me up, threw me 30 feet, 20 feet in the air. Um, I broke my arm. I busted up my body. She wasn't really done. This is all in, described in detail in the book. I like your expression. Um, she ran over. And, you know, when people see elephants do headstands like in a circus, which I'm not a proponent of, um, but when they see them do a headstand, that's a natural instinct. The only predators elephants have in the wild besides people are big cats, tigers in Asia, lions in Africa. And if a cat jumps on their back, they throw them to the ground. They put their head on them and they pick up their back feet and squish. She actually ran over, started to come down with her head. I was in shock at this point. And I just, some training in the back of my mind went off. You can get her attention by hitting her in the eye, which I did. And that lifted her head and allowed me to roll off the island into a canal of water uh, with alligators in it. Um, but they went the other way. If there were crocodiles, we wouldn't be laughing right now. Um, why do I use that example? Because people ask me after that, you know, did they, what did they do to the elephant? Did you put it down? What was wrong with her? There was nothing wrong with Danya. I broke the rules. And the experience, including the two weeks in the hospital and the repair of my arm and the footprint on my back with five toes to know that she was an Asian um, elephant versus an African, I actually came out of that realizing it was my first life lesson, which is how I wrote my book. What life lessons did I learn from each of these interactions? And in that case, it was follow the rules. Animal behavior is predictable. You just need to learn their language. And it convinced me that I wanted to do this more. It was my calling. So that was the pivotal moment. I was in Cornell at that point at Cornell undergraduate school. And uh, that's when I confirmed in my, me and myself that this was my calling. I wanted to work with animals and interact with them and help them and play a part in treating them. Amazing. So you, did you have your own practice? Um, I was very fortunate. I graduated Cornell Veterinary School and I was accepted into an internship program. Some of your listeners might know Angel Memorial in Boston. It's a teaching hospital that has about 50 veterinarians. And in the 70s and 80s, that was unheard of. Now there's specialty practices all over the country. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was Angel AMC in the universities. And I did a 14-month uh, internship there in clinical medicine. I went into private practice for two years as an associate. And then I was lucky enough to go back on staff at Angel, and I was there for another eight years. And that was just, wow. I was working with some of the best veterinarians in the world. I was lucky to be there. My, my um, uh, area of interest was internal medicine and oncology. Um, but we saw everything at Angel. And I also saw the so-called exotic or non-domestic pets because I had all this other field experience working at the zoo, working at Lion Country, working at the safari park. Um, I would see the non-domestic pets that would come through. Again, there's a whole story there. I'm not in favor of most of them because most people don't know what they're getting into when they do it, but at least we want to make sure that they're cared for as much as possible. So that's what I did for 10 years. And then I had either, I say jokingly, in a drunken stupor or a good decision um, when Governor Michael Dukakis was running for governor of Mass uh, for president, I'm sorry, um, I was asked to be the director of the Boston Zoos. So I, you know, it, it took many months for me to make the decision because I love medicine. I loved practicing, but I realized I could have maybe more of an impact on populations of animals because I believe at the end of the day, animal welfare's strongest suit to advance itself is education, educating the public about what wildlife is all about and how to preserve them with domestic animals. It's how to care for them and be respectful of both. 
Um, so I felt I could have more of an impact. So I went from the Boston zoos. I then became the director of the Los Angeles zoo. And from there I became, I went through San Francisco SBCA as vice president and then president of the San Diego Humane Society. Wow. So, I, I, I truly have, I've seen clinical medicine. I've seen captive wildlife, which I talk about in the book. Why should we have zoos and aquariums? I actually speak to it and then animal welfare. And I've loved Every place I've been, I've learned from it. I've worked with some of the greatest people in the country. And so you're talking mostly this book is your experiences working with animals in these places and how, of course, you, I'm sure, taught people things, but it's more about what the experiences in working with animals taught you. Yes, very much so. I mean, either the people or the um, animals that you know, for instance, it's called Lions and Tigers and Hamsters right? I because love. we've got a Harold the Hamster story. Um, that's an I love to tell. And what did I learn from it? Well, Harold the Hamster came in in a shoebox with a 10, 12-year-old boy attached. And his mom sat in the corner of the room and I went to open the box. And the first thing he did was put his hand on the top of the box and said, Dr. Goldstein, what do you know about hamsters? And he took control of my room. <laughs> I, um, I explained it. that I did and we opened it up and here was a tumor I could see or some inflammation process in the back leg. We went through the whole process. I never, what I learned in veterinary medicine is I never prejudged the situation, how the people were dressed. Um, you know, uh, I didn't judge anything. I always made sure or how old they were, how young they were, that we in whatever language or level of um, communication was indicated with a 10-year-old boy versus an adult, I made sure they understood all the options. I didn't assume that some options were not what they would consider. So we talked about euthanizing the little guy, and we talked about let's see each other in three or four weeks because I can tell you now he's not in pain. How can you tell? He's not breathing rapidly. He's not. He's holding his weight. He's eating well. He's responding. So we might have to see each other at a future point and stop, or we can amputate the leg. And to my surprise, this young man turned around to his mom and said, Mom, and I explained the costs at this point. Um, he said, I've been had, I had a paper route, which most of your listeners may not know what that is anymore. But he had a paper route. And he was saying, How young do you think I am? <laughs> I said, your listeners, not you. I don't know who listens. I'm talking to, I know, I, um, but um, I, um, he turned to her and said, Mom, I've been saving up for two years to buy a bicycle. I can get that next year. I want to do this. And in a flash of an eye, and you can see it in my eyes, I still get emotional about it. He really taught me the, how important life was over material wealth. A 10-year-old boy in, yeah. a, in a flash. So that's the life lessons I learned. We, By the way, so that people know, we went ahead, we amputated the leg. I actually met his mom in the hall and we made a deal. We didn't charge that much. And she promised to get him a bike for Christmas. Um, but we amputated the leg and unfortunately it came back as a malignancy. But the young man sent me a card six months later with a three-legged hamster driven, drawn on it, you know, by a young, you could tell a, a child and a note inside that said, my little friend passed away last night, but I'm so glad we did what we did. And, and those, that's the kind of lessons I've learned being a veterinarian from in this case, a young man. Um, so that's just an example of one. Yeah, there's nothing better than um, meeting other people who love animals as much as you do. And um, A, makes you feel not as crazy, and B, that they understand. <laughs> I gave up feeling. I know I'm crazy. <laughs> Me too. It's accepted. <laughs> Me too. Um, normal is boring. It's a dog's life. We'll be back once we take our sponsors out for a short walk. 
Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the US. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with the Plant Profits. Welcome to another episode of Plant Profits. I am Bert Miller, your host. As you guys know, the purpose of this show is to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. Plant Profits, only on CannabisRadio.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him, pink, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. The following is an encore presentation of It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino. Stop barking up the wrong tree. We're back with more of It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. Hey there, it's Angela Ardolino with It's a Dog's Life, and I'm here today with uh, Dio Wynn, Dr. Wynn. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Angela. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This is fun. You bet. I can't wait to talk to you about everything I've read about you, and one of the biggest things that I see is exactly what you said, the senior dogs, that if they had mm. a senior human that is now, you know, going to a home or hospice or passes away, the family nine times out of 10 doesn't take the dog. And then the dog's Mm -hmm. usually a senior and has all kinds of problems. So I get those also. But the biggest reason is nobody wants to watch their dog suffer and they can't afford it. Yeah. You know, because they're given every type of medication and then the vet bills when there's one you know, when medical cannabis can solve most of the joint issues and problems and weird little tumors that pop up. And so it is a, you know, I would love to be able to, that we, to see that we could get to a day where um, we could give dogs something that is not expensive and that is all natural and will help them keep them calm and happy while they're in that situation. Cause it's got to be frightening. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we can collaborate and we'll do something. We'll do a study. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great idea. Sure. I'm up for that. 
I want to know what inspired you to write this beautiful book. Um, I the ending I think was my favorite. I just reread it to somebody and they were like, "Oh, that is beautiful." <laughs> I'm like, "Isn't it?" <laughs> Um, so tell me what, what was your inspiration for this? Well, sure. Um, I mean, my own dog, Zephos was the, was the, is the dog, it's the book spirit animal. And she truly was the book's inspiration because mm-hmm. I'd, I'd had a, a period of life where I hadn't had a dog, international moves and a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at last we got a dog again and this dog came into my life just at a time when I was really puzzling over what it is that makes dogs so uniquely successful mm-hmm. in in our world today and and she explained it to me I mean, honestly honestly if there's one thing about this dog i mean she is just such a bundle of love she is just so affectionate that's really yeah. you know if you came here angela and you visited with me that's the you know she's not one of those dogs who's particularly smart I'm sorry, but she's not. No, um, but 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 affection. She knows what she's love. good at. She's, she sticks with oh, what, yeah. she, what her talents are and does them very well. Yeah. We should all Absolutely. take that lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean she's she's that that's her, and so that really changed. You know, I mean that honestly changed my scientific thinking about dogs because up to that point, a lot of people have been trying to argue that dogs have a special kind of intelligence. And at first that seemed possible to me that dogs have a special way of understanding people. But gradually I came to realize it's not that dogs don't understand people. Dogs do understand people, but it's not actually unique to dogs. It's something special about animals that live in such close proximity with people. Mm -hmm. So you can take almost any animal. I mean, it's more difficult to tame other species, of course. Wild animals are very difficult to tame, but it can be done. And people who live with wild animals and have tamed them can reach something like the same level of mutual understanding that we have with dogs. So I came to the conclusion that it wasn't a special form of intelligence that made dogs so successful, but their capacity and desire and just success in forming strong emotional bonds in loving people is truly what makes them so remarkable and so successful. Yeah, I know my I have some chickens and definitely have some geese that love me to death. There's no doubt that they do. But yeah, the I think the step up is how they know when you're not feeling good. You're yeah. sick oh, and yeah. they want to be next to you or yeah. bad yeah. news and they end up on your lap and you're like, oh, you are so good. You know, it's yeah, just, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just Absolutely. a beautiful thing. Okay, well, it everyone totally needs is. to read this book, especially if you're a dog lover. It is a beautiful book and it really makes you go, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh, good. Um, and I know people can come here. You speak at the Miami Book Fair on November 23rd. So those that are going to that beautiful event, um, they can come see you. You're having a panel with other um, authors. That's right. With Mark Goldstein and Susanna Charlson. Uh, they're calling it Our Four-Legged Friends. That's wonderful. And that's 3 p.m. on November 23rd. And where direct our listeners to where they can find out more information about you and read up about you and, of course, get the book. Yeah, of course. So I have a, I have a website, dogislovebook.com, dogislovebook.com. Perfect. I love when they're easy to remember. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, and I really appreciate it. I had a wonderful time speaking to you. Me too, Angela. It was great fun. Thank you so much for inviting me on. You bet.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.